If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide or experiencing a mental health or substance use crisis, 988 provides 24-7 compassionate support and connection to trained counselors. When you call, text, or chat 988, you'll be quickly connected to trained counselors who will listen to your concerns, provide support, and connect you to additional resources if needed. There is hope. The Lifeline works. You are not alone. For 24-7 support, just call, text, or chat 988. Welcome to Adventures in the Spirit with Jared Lasky. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and equipped through this podcast as we have conversations with friends from around the world. You can subscribe to our podcast and go to our website, firebornministries.com, and sign up for our email list to stay up to date on Fireborn Ministries. And may you have your own adventures in the Spirit. And now, we hope you enjoy today's podcast. I want to welcome you to another episode of Adventures in the Spirit with Jared Lasky. We have a great interview lined up for you I'm sure you don't want to miss. I want to encourage you before we move towards our sponsor to please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast, Adventures in the Spirit. I hope it's encouraging you. I hope it's edifying you. I hope it's equipping and empower you to move out in your adventure with the Holy Spirit. Do you want to grow in your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Do you want to commune with the wonderful Holy Spirit like never before? Your adventure with Him will grow tremendously as you go through our Fellowship with the Holy Spirit e-course. You can study the course at your own pace on your time. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit will help you know the Holy Spirit more and encounter Him every day. You'll learn His names, His character, His fruit, His personality, and more. Go to FirebornMinistries.com to purchase this life-changing program and start connecting with Him today. Well, thank you for having me today. My name is Brittany Dunn, and I have the honor of helping lead Safe House Project as their COO. Uh, prior to joining Safe House Project or founding it, and I had the opportunity to spend over 10 years doing international business development at CareerBuilder.com. Um, I've worked all around the world, so that's been a blessing. And I have a dual degree of economics and English, and I received my MBA from Thunderbird School of Global Management. On the personal side, I am a military spouse, mother of two, and um, just really enjoy learning and traveling, and of course, um, really pouring into this mission and calling uh, protecting the vulnerable in our community. Thank you for your spouse's service. Brittany, can you tell us what the Safe House Project is and does? Of course, yeah. So Safe House Project, our vision is to see communities across America unite to end domestic sex trafficking and really restore hope and freedom to every survivor. Our other heartbeat is to build a better future through preventing the spread of child sex trafficking, which really comes in the form of awareness and education, training, and helping just equip the community to understand this issue at a deeper level. Wow. And how were you drawn into being part of the Safe House Project? Being part of it was really a God calling on my life. It's been there for a long time. I have volunteered with various incredible organizations around the United States as a military spouse and really got to learn about the unique challenges that direct service providers have when um, launching a home or just trying to sometimes even maintain a home. And so when I went on maternity at the beginning of 2018, my husband deployed and we had three of us who just had 
had dad really aligning our hearts toward this for a long time. And we said if there's ever time to start an organization, it's when you have three deployed spouses, seven children under the age of seven collectively, a deep desire to get some work done. It looks to me like you guys are staying busy with everything. And what are the current trends and the statistics of trafficking currently? Yeah, so when we started, the FBI and International Labor Organization were reporting that approximately 300,000 American children were at risk of being sex trafficked every year. We saw that about victim identification was hovering at about 1%, but really where we saw the biggest gap um, and the deepest need in the fight against sex trafficking was the fact that there were only 100 beds for all of these kids in restorative care homes throughout the entire United States. And without a safe place to go, 80% were ending up being re-victimized. And so from there, we said, wow, like that is, if all it is standing between a child and them being put back on, back on a path to truly getting to live out their dreams, their childhood dreams, and not um, being sold as a commodity, is a bed and a safe place and wraparound services for 12 to 18 months. We can help bring the necessary people, the necessary funds, you know, our own expertise, our respective fields, to really create an organization that could support the work that is already being done in communities across America. So what we work to do is empower survivors' path to freedom. So we help with rescue teams and supporting rescue operations through funding. We work with various nonprofits on launching either emergency shelters, restorative care homes, or transitional opportunity plans for kids who have been victims of child sex trafficking in America. Our deep desire is that these kids have the opportunity to go through a restorative safe house because without going through a program and receiving the drop-around services and that restorative care, the chance of a child ever testifying against their trafficker is extremely small. And so we want to be able to really empower them and serve them and meet them where they're at and tell them that they have value, dignity, and worth as a human being and not as a commodity. You said a statistic that actually is pretty shocking to me about how many children are trafficked in the United States of America. Can you say that again? 300,000 American children, we believe, are trafficked every year in the United States. And even since we began, the victim identification rate is increasing. Last year, the National Human Trafficking Hotline saw an increase of over 25% just through their hotline. And so as more people are becoming aware and more people are understanding that we're not talking about kidnapping or the Holly or Hollywood's portrayal of sex trafficking, we are really seeing that more survivors are being identified, which is wonderful, but that just obviously increases the need for a coordinated response in every community. Wow, that's actually very shocking that statistic and how can we identify trafficking in in our daily lives like how is it that someone like myself can identify if it's taking place one thing i should definitely mention is that in terms of um, people's perception of trafficking is that taken was a great film you know just right. over a decade ago 
but really that isn't what we're talking about majority of the time. 40% of the kids that we interact with have been trafficked by a family member. Mm. They are trafficked right out of their own home, and so that is a very different um, business model, which sounds very clinical, but then what most people expect. Then we have about another 26% in there that will be trafficked by a trust relationship. So that can be an older boyfriend, a coach, a guardian, a nanny, a baby girl. We see it ending up being a myriad of types of people. We even see peer-to-peer trafficking. And then the other largest group will be your runaway and disconnected youth, um, those who might be in the foster care system and don't stay put and run. And so really, those are the three groups that we work very hard to um, make sure that people are educated to spot them in those different arenas because the hard cases where it is abduction will be bubbled up to law enforcement very quickly. So in terms of signs, um, we really want to break it down into what are physical signs, what are behavioral and emotional signs, because physical signs are obviously going to be more apparent. We do see branding or tattoos where the trafficker will physically brand them. They can also appear malnourished or um, have physical signs of physical abuse. They can also be really tired and, and just seem exhausted. And that really layers itself into the signs of emotional um, and behavioral challenges. So emotionally, kids will come across as very depressed. They could be trying to cope with the situation by using alcohol or drugs and abusing substances, it's not always, too, that they are choosing to do or to use substances. It could be that that's forced on them. These kids usually will appear very distrustful and suspicious and have a hard time trusting authorities, even law enforcement. It really comes through in a lot of different ways. And what I should note is that you want to see it as almost a layering effect. Um, it's not to scare anybody, but it's to say that, you know, if you start to see multiple signs, and maybe it's, you know, it could be suspected trafficking, and it's worth pulling the thread to see if there's something else there. Right. So you would probably recommend if we can identify it, we build relationship. Is it uh, is there a short-term stra- strategy or is there a long-term strategy, as you mentioned, the layering? So as we kind of build a relationship, I mean, what would you recommend? It is hard. If it is somebody that you do not know and you are just suspecting trafficking because you are walking, you know, engaging with that individual for the first time, the chances of them self-identifying as a victim are very low. And so usually it's best to, if it's an active trafficking situation, to report it to 911. If it is suspected trafficking where you just say this feels a little bit off, you can always report a tip to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. And then they use those patterns to help law enforcement identify maybe a trafficking ring or an active trafficking situation. So the National Human Trafficking Hotline is a great tool that can be used. Even if you get, you know, 24 hours past seeing something that you say, that didn't feel quite right to me, you can still go back and report it and at least help increase the number of tips that are out there. So the National Human Trafficking Hotline can be reached at 1-888-373-7888. Or you can always text INFO to be free 
and they also have an online um, option for reporting. So when it isn't a child that you are engaging with on a regular basis or have a trust relationship with, that is the route to go. If you are a teacher and you think that it just doesn't seem right, depending on obviously your school's protocols, then it would be following their bring in child protective services to investigate. If you're just a community member, though, like most of us, really what it comes down to is trying to ask the child a few questions as if, you know, a friend's kid that you're watching on occasion or things like that and understand maybe a little bit more of what's going on. But as soon as you really believe that you know that this child is being trafficked, report it to the authorities, get the proper agencies involved, because trafficking is not something that you as an individual community member should um, be trying to intercept on your own. Yeah, thank you so much for that. What I'll do is I'll get that phone number and I'll actually put it in the podcast notes when it's when it's published to as many people as possible. How can we protect our children in extreme cases, like you'd mentioned, the Hollywood version, you know, of kidnappings and everything, what are some things that we can do to protect our kids from exploitation? I think that, you know, it really needs to be broken down into age-appropriate conversations. Hmm. When you have young children, a lot of that stems from just teaching them anatomically correct terms. Because if you have a young child who's three or four who's experiencing child sexual abuse, you want them to be able to communicate clearly with you where somebody might be touching them that's inappropriate. And from there, you can build on that conversation as your child matures and, um, you know, gets older, and then start to help them understand the importance of being able to say no, of not having to hug the person that makes them maybe feel uncomfortable. Teaching your child that they have um, control over their body is really important because then when they get to the high school age, they will be more, you know, more equipped to know how to say no and to be able to talk about consent. That's really important. I think the word consent gets turned around sometimes, you know, and consent can be, as I said, it can be as simple as just consenting to giving somebody a hug. They can still be respectful, shake somebody's hand, but they don't always have to allow people to invade their personal space. Right. When it comes to other means for this, you know, a lot of that can be grooming techniques that we need to be aware of as parents. And grooming techniques are starting very young for kids through social media or YouTube videos or really the gaming console. Hmm. And so understanding who your children can be in contact with through technology is critical. We find that many online predators are learning kids in through the gaming console. They will develop relationships and trust bonds with those kids over a long duration of time just by sitting there and chatting with them and starting to isolate the child and say, I'm so sorry your parents won't let you stay up late. I can't believe that. They're so mean, you know. And over time, they continually add to that and they they try to intervene and make themselves the primary confidant of the child opposed to the parent. And so really telling your child, you know, validating them, validating your relationship that you are a safe place, that you can talk about anything, can go a long way. And then on the cell phone side of the house, we um, really advise that parents download an app called Dark, which allows 
for the parent it's an app that can't be uninstalled off in a child's phone, but the parent sets different thresholds um, for monitoring of the content and what is being said on the phone. So if there's a sudden uptick in um, profanity or requests for news or any of these different types of things that are happening to our kids, it'll trigger an alert to the parent. And then you can use that as a conversation starter for what is appropriate and inappropriate conversations to be having with your friends. And some of it will be as benign as, you know, kids just learning the world. But by having those real-life conversations with your kids, you can also start to weave in the caution of not everybody is going to be somebody you can trust and you need to be aware of, you know, whatever you put out there is available to the world. And kids need to understand that technology is a tool that can be good if used for good or evil. Yeah. And would you mind sharing the name of that app again, please? Sure. It's called Bark. B-A-R-K. B-A-R-K. Thank you so much. I'll put that in the episode notes as well. Uh, And you'd mentioned grooming. Now, I've been in the ministry world for the last 20 years. And unfortunately, there are victims within the church world. What are some steps to prevention of trafficking that churches and faith communities can do? Besides just a background check or even checking references, are there some steps, further steps that churches and faith communities can do? I think that, you know, to your point, you know, a lot of this goes, it's hiding in plain sight. And so there's only so many steps any entity, a church or otherwise, can take to completely understand who they're hiring. But we do encourage, you know, even on the church side, zero tolerance policies and procedures within the handbook around things like pornography, especially child pornography. And it sounds crazy to have to make your staff sign something like that when we're talking about the church community, but we all know that that is a struggle of a lot of people in our culture, faith-based or not. And so putting it out there as something to say, we do not allow, that this is not going to be tolerated, really creates that accountability within the um, within the hiring process. Even. So good. And then if that is something that they have struggled with previously, you know, providing there are great tools, and I can provide you those as well, that say, here are some ways that you can be accountable. Here are apps that you can put on your phone or on your computer or on your device that allow for it to not even be a temptation. How do churches have meaningful accountability groups around hard things like this? Yeah. And really start talking about pornography in the way that it is a gateway to child sex trafficking. Under the child sex trafficking header, child pornography is part of that. And so we really need to understand that with every single um, action that we take on our phones or every show that we watch, that we are making purchasing decisions. Mm. We are at a point in history where more people are annually voting on their favorite porn films been voted in the last U.S. election. Can you say that again? I, I just want that to sink in. Just Can you say that again, please? Sure. More people voted in the last year for their favorite porn film last year than voted in the last U.S. election. That is heavy. It is. Wow. But in order to end child sex trafficking in America, it has to be a two-pronged approach. We have to provide treatment 
and we have to prevent the problem. And prevention comes in equipping our kids to know how to protect themselves and decreasing the demand. Wow. There's a lot of questions going through my head, but <laughs> wow. I'm I'm honestly shocked at, at some of these things, but prevention is key. And you'd mentioned accountability that the churches need to even have dialogue, but a zero tolerance policy for things. I mean, there are, you know, the church is full of broken people, people healing, you know, people in processes, but there are still some fine lines. You know, there's red lines that need to be set in place, um, especially for protection and prevention. And I don't want this interview to be, you know, negative or whatever, but I, I also want you to share some of your success stories of what you've seen take place through your work. Would you mind sharing a couple of success stories for us? Yeah, of course. We definitely, I know this is a hard topic. I know it is heavy, but there is so much hope. And that comes in a myriad of ways, but really our survivors. I mean, we get to work with some of the most, um, you know, determined and passionate and excited people who just want to have the opportunity to dream again. And so we had just recently, we were talking about a survivor who was trafficked um, by her peers in high school, ended up getting pregnant by one of the buyers, does not know to this day who is her child's um, father, made the choice to keep that child and is now um, working as a police officer and wanting to pursue law school. And so there is somebody who could have said that I have been so hurt and so broken by my circumstance that I'm not, I'm going to choose not to try and, you know, to try, and try to choose to pursue something different. And here she is now not only, you know, on the path to healing and working through all of what happened to her, but she's giving back through service to our communities and being on the front lines as a police officer wow. by raising a child that at points is probably hard to raise. I mean, that's just the reality. But she sees love and she sees redemption and she sees restoration. And I think that's the beautiful thing is that God restores the broken and that he is He is close to us and that he wants to see us, each of us, whatever our broken is, heal from that and move forward in his grace and mercy. And so that, that one has been really sticking with me this week. Amen. Another awesome. success story that we've had over the past few months is a gal who was deaf, who was trafficked for over a decade. And she has started to open up, and because of the healing that she's receiving and because of the ways that she's starting to work through the trauma that she's experienced, she is choosing to sing and to praise God. Yeah, she Amen. can't even hear her own self sing. And it's the most beautiful sound to hear her wanting to glorify God in a way that is that she can't even completely understand. And I think that's just beauty in the ashes. Oh, I love that. That is awesome. Would you mind sharing one more story? Yes, of course. <laughs> I mean, I, I, love, I love these I, stories. Yeah. Oh, I know. They're the, they're the heartbeats. That's why we do all of this. No, I think that in, you know, one of the gals that we've had the pleasure of walking alongside for a few years now, she was trafficked from the age of 6 to 11, right out of her parents' home, hmm. and by her uncle. And so she 
she is she has done the hard work. She's invested in treatment or invested in her treatment and really worked every day to unpack those years of abuse and realizing just how interwoven it was into her family life. What I loved is this past year she got baptized and she invited her parents to come to her baptism and to come to church with her that Sunday, even though she had found out that they received kickbacks from her uncle for her trafficking situation. But she recognized that they needed God just as much as she did. And so she set aside that hurt and chose to live into God's grace and extend grace and forgiveness to them in a way that would, I think, be really hard for each of us to do some days. So she's now considering seminary and all of these different things. And that is a healing that only comes from knowing whose child you truly are. That's awesome. Yay, God. I love that. So, Mm -hmm. Brittany, I appreciate you taking the time out. What is the the best way that our listeners can get in touch with your organization? Yes. Um, You can visit us online at um, safehouseproject.org. After, or besides that, um, I definitely encourage you to follow us on social media because we're always posting um, new tips for parents, how to be involved, how to engage and be part of the solution. I love that we all have a part to play in this. And um, really like William Wilbur before said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you didn't know. And so how can we each play a little part in helping to protect the kids in our um, community and serve and empower those who have already been victimized? Yes. Uh, and, and then you'd recommended the, the Bark app. And then is there a yes. book that if you if you don't mind my asking, I, I didn't put this in the notes or anything or in the questions, but is there a book out there that you'd recommend? There's a lot of books I would recommend. Um, <laughs> if you want to understand how familial trafficking works in America, uh, Teresa Flores wrote a book called The Slave Next Door. And it's about her trafficking situation right out of her parents' home. And I think that one really is impactful to understand how this how this has woven itself into the fabric of our community. The slave next door. Well, thank you so very much. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation in Adventures in the Spirit. We hope that this podcast encouraged and inspired you to press into Jesus and launches you into your own adventure. You can stay up to date with Fireborn Ministries by going to our website, firebornministries.com, and like us on Facebook. And may you have your own Adventures in the Spirit.